Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. A few weeks ago, I uh, put out an invitation on the podcast for people to email me with questions or ideas or uh, thoughts for the podcast. In other words, I wanted to know, is there some issue that you'd like for me to address that I've not talked about? And I was pleased that uh, several of you responded. And I'm trying to make some response back by covering some of the issues that were raised by those emails. Today, I'd like to talk about models of bivocational ministry. Uh, A bivocational pastor uh, emailed me and gave me some questions and some uh, suggestions. And I'm going to spin out of that email and talk a little bit about uh, bivocational models and some things we can learn from bivocational ministry leaders and also a couple of concerns that they have to address if they're going to maintain effectiveness in those roles. First of all, it's important to understand that bivocational ministry is prevalent, especially among Baptist churches. Uh, In the western United States, for example, the state executives consistently tell me that about half of all churches in the west are led by a bivocational pastor. And I just recently read that in the state of Tennessee, which most of us would think of as sort of a hotbed of uh, you know, Baptist strength, that 60% of the churches in Tennessee are led by a bivocational pastor. So whether you're in the South or in the West, wherever you are in the country, bivocational ministry models are fairly common and are actually a part of the backbone of who we are as Southern Baptists and provide a significant part of the, uh, of the leadership resource base for our denomination. So it's important to understand some bivocational models and bivocational ministry and see how we can capitalize on that in the best way possible. Now, my, sh- my thinking about this issue was really shaped by a couple of things uh, back in the early 1990s. The first thing that happened was I became the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. And when I did that, I was faced pretty quickly with the reality that um, we needed more staffing, we needed more specialization in the staff that we had, and we had no money. And so I had to think creatively about how I was going to find a way to enlarge the staff, to uh, deepen some of the specialties within the staff, and do that with a very limited amount of additional resources available for personnel expense. Now, back in those days, the Home Mission Board, now North American Mission Board, operated a program called Mission Service Corps. And this was a national clearinghouse, if you will, where they uh, recruited, vetted, and helped place uh, uh, volunteer leaders and really bivocational leaders in in church ministry positions around the United States. Well, I wondered about the possibility of tapping into that network and uh, worked with Mission Service Corps leaders and was successfully able to do so. Uh, We were able to have a few leaders uh, come from other parts of the country, but we were also able to raise up and promote some people in the Northwest into these roles. And so uh, over a relatively short period of time, I was able to add 10, 10 staff members to the Northwest Baptist Convention staff, which increased our staff by about a third. Um, that, that was a, a significant addition of personnel, resources, and compet- or, excuse me, resource competence, and uh, specialization that we needed. Now, not all of these worked full-time. Some worked part-time, uh, but several did work full-time. 
And uh, in doing this, we were able to tap into what I'll call a bivocational model. And you may say, well, that sounds like a, a volunteer model or some other kinds of names that could be attached to that. And I'm going to talk about some different ways to understand bivocationalism in just a moment. But we were able to tap into that bivocational mentality or that bi bivocational mindset and significantly enlarge the convention staff. And so for most of my 10 years on the staff there, we had eight to 10 different people, eight to 10 different positions um, that were filled by these kind of personnel. And then another thing that happened in the 90s, which was a very shaping experience, was I met uh, a person who really showed me uh, a new perspective on bivocational leadership. When I uh, started out in ministry, I guess I thought that bivocational pastors were pastors who didn't have the talent or the ability to get a full-time church or uh, were willing to work in a church that was so small that it, it never could afford a full-time leader. I won't say that I had a pejorative view of bivocational ministry leaders, but I definitely had a truncated view. I, I didn't see the full reason for their uh, role, and I didn't see the full value in how their role could be maximized over the long haul in ministry, in ministry settings. And so I met this person who uh, was actually a tenured professor of veterinary medicine at Washington State University and a very, very committed church leader. He felt that God was calling him into pastoral ministry, and so he did what uh, he assumed you had to do in order to be a pastor. He resigned a tenured faculty position uh, in a premier veterinary school in the nation and came to seminary. Uh, he went through seminary fairly quickly because he was a very capable student, as you might guess, and then went on into doctoral program at the seminary as well, and ultimately wound up earning both a Master of Divinity and Doctor of Ministry degrees. But, when he, but, and while, but while he was in seminary, uh, he was called to be the pastor of a church, and he was called to be the full-time pastor of a church. And as he developed that ministry, he became more and more dissatisfied with his pastoral leadership and more and more dissatisfied with his capacity to stay engaged with the community, particularly to stay networked with people who were not yet Christians and to feel like he was making an impact uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the corporate or in the business or in the community of uh, uh, the corporate community in his, in his city. And he had been so comfortable in the educational environment and also the medical environment that it was really difficult for him. And so after attempting this full-time pastorate for a while, um, he decided that he would become a bivocational pastor. And so since he had trained most of the veterinarians who worked in the city where he was pastoring, he went to them and asked them if they would like to contract with him as a surgeon so that on one or two days a week, uh, he would be a contract surgeon who would do surg elective surgeries for uh, small animals or for animals in that area uh, and alleviate some of the workload of the vets and also get him back in the game, so to speak, but get him in, into the practice or into the uh, use of his veterinary skills in such a way that didn't time to a practice or a schedule or to being on call or those kinds of things. Well, this turned out to be a great uh, match for him and for the vets in the area, and so he formed this um, this uh, this contract surgery surgery uh, company or this contract surgery uh, vocation, and started doing that kind of work, and re re reduced his workload and his compensation from the church, and became a bivocational pastor.
Now, uh, that's, that was a really striking set of developments for me. I had never met anyone who had the opportunity to be a full-time pastor, but intentionally chose to be a bivocational pastor. And I'd also never met a bivocational pastor that was uh, such a strong MDiv student and was actually moving on into doctoral work, earning not only a doctor of veterinary medicine, but now a doctor of ministry degree. Uh, this was a highly capable man who made the intentional choice to be bivocational in his ministry leadership role. So these two formative experiences happened to me, and they, they overlapped and paralleled in some ways in the, in the 1990s. I met a person who was a new model of bivocational ministry leader for me, who was very capable, had been offered and accepted a full-time responsibility as a pastor, and then intentionally made the decision to create a a path where he could return to being bivocational, practicing uh, as a veterinary surgeon, and then at the same time providing pastoral leadership to a church. And you may say, well, how'd that work out? Well, I watched him do that for about 20 years, and he was able to successfully maintain that model over the long haul of bivocational pastoral leadership in his community. Now, uh, a second, uh, and then the second uh, formative experience for me was uh, tapping into a volunteer slash bivocational model for ministry leadership at the Northwest Baptist Convention, which allowed us to add eight to 10 people to our staff, taking our staff from about uh, 25 people to about 35 people during the time of my tenure as a state executive director. Now, through those experiences and then by paying attention and observing and talking with others along the way, I've discovered that there are a number of different models of what bivocational ministry can be like. Let me give you some examples. The first one, and probably the one that most people think of when they think bivocational, is the part-time person working in a part-time ministry assignment and a part-time job responsibility, meaning that they work a, a secular job of some kind, but they work at it a limited number of hours, and then they work a ministry job, but they also work that a limited number of hours, and the two added together provides both their compensation base and takes up the time they have allotted every week for the work that they're trying to do. That is certainly one model. But here's another model. Uh, some people that are doing bivocational ministry are actually working full-time in their secular job and giving limited time to their ministry leadership responsibility. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little more about this person in a moment, but uh, I recently met a bivocational pastor, for example, who has a, a significant managerial responsibility with a public utility. And he's been doing that for about 25 years and has reached a, a solid place in his career where he really knows how to do his job well and he's good at it. Uh, he, he has no interest in being promoted from that position, nor is it likely he will be demoted. He's in a, in a, in a sweet spot, if you will, of, of secular career success, but it's definitely a full-time job. But he still pastors the church, and he's only able to devote a limited amount of time to that uh, because of his full-time secular responsibility. But he is uh, able to do that and to do it well. Another model is when a person retires from either a secular position or from a ministry position and then continues on in ministry leadership in a part-time capacity uh, and their bivocational, if you will, is that their primary financial support comes from their retirement income and that they get a secondary support from the ministry they're doing. Now, you might say, well, uh, I know pastors who do that as interim pastors or transition pastors, and that's good, but that's not exactly what I'm talking about. Instead, I'm actually referring to a person who takes on a regular ministry responsibility 
responsibility. For example, I have a friend who did this. He retired from being a director of missions and then uh, accepted the call to a very small church as their pastor. And not only did he accept that call, but he committed to staying there until he could bring that church to strength and turn it over to a new pastoral leader. And the church grew from attendance around 20 or 30 up to 200 over the next five years as he was able to devote his full-time energy, if you will, to leading this church back to strength and health. Now, he did that. Uh, by investing the money that was being accrued in the offerings of the church as it grew back into the ministry of the church, not into his salary. And so he was able to provide his own uh, support through his retirement income and devote himself, uh, not as an interim or a transition, but as a five-year pastor helping to uh, reestablish a church and get it back to a place of health and then prepare it to move on to another leader that would follow him. Okay, another model of bivocational, now remember we've covered three, there's the part-time, part-time model, there's the full-time, limited-time model, and there's the retirement, part-time model, or even the retirement, full-time model. And then another model is what I call a self-salaried person. Now this is a person who's not really retired, they've just reached a point in their, in their life where they have the capacity to provide for themselves financially, and they're then able to invest themselves in ministry leadership without the pressure of compensation. Now these self-salaried staff can really come from two sources. One, a person can be self-salaried in that they've made enough money on their own or they've inherited enough money that they simply can provide their own uh, livelihood and then invest themselves in a ministry either part-time or full-time because they have the resources to take care of themselves. Another model of this is that is, is a person is the spouse of a person who has those resources. And that is a person who says, you know, as a couple, we have resources and I don't have to work a secular job in order to sustain us. My husband or my wife is working the secular job or who or has the resources and I'm able to devote my full time uh, to a ministry leadership responsibility. Frankly, uh, my wife has been in this capacity uh, most of our adult lives. Now, she worked for part of the time and helped put our kids through college and that kind of thing. But for most of our married life, my wife has been able to be what she calls a full-time volunteer, meaning that she's been able to serve churches in ministry leadership roles, including being on the staff of a couple of churches where she had a 20 to 30-hour week responsibility. And she was considered in every way a, a staff member, uh, but she was self-salaried. In other words, she provided her own support and didn't have any expectation the church would provide anything for her. I also had this in my uh, work there at the Northwest Baptist Convention. Um, because our volunteer program was so strong on the convention staff, we wanted to help churches to develop the same kind of strategy of using volunteers more aggressively as bivocational or, or, uh, or volunteer or self-salaried workers in their churches too. And so on our staff at the Northwest Baptist Convention, we actually had, for the whole time I was there, a self-salaried person who worked full-time for us, whose job was to facilitate volunteers uh, in, uh, in the churches and in the ministry organizations of the, of the Northwest. Now, uh, this person, uh, for a time, was a person who had just been very successful in their career and stepped out and wanted to step into a ministry role that, uh, uh, that they were doing, quote, if you want to say it, in retirement, but they were too young to really be retired. They just self-salaried and gave themselves over to ministry. And in a couple of other cases, it was a person who was retired, uh, in one case, it was a person who had military retirement. And instead of going out and getting a job, 
job, he used his military retirement to provide the basis of his support so that he could go out and then do ministry, which he did for us as a, quote, self-salaried staff member. So self-salaried is another model where you have a person who has resources or perhaps a couple that has resources, and um, either the person who has the resources or the married person who's in the situation where they're being cared for or their livelihoods being provided in their marriage situation, and they're able to devote themselves to these kinds of leadership roles. So bivocational models, there's the part-time, part-time model, there's the full-time, limited-time model, there's the retirement part-time or even the retirement full-time model. Then there's this self-salaried model, which that self-salaried is distinguished from the retirement model in that it's a person who has their own resources or who has, uh, by some means, uh, been able to accrue enough resource to support themselves even though they've not yet reached retirement age. And then there's one last model that I want to talk about, and that is a multi-staff model. A multi-staff model. And that is where a church or a ministry organization actually decides that it's going to have a, a group of bivocational leaders rather than um, as soon as the bivocational, as soon as the church reaches a point where the bivocational pastor can go, quote, full time, they're going to put that person into a full time role. Instead of doing that, the church or organization decides, no, we're going to be in, uh, intentionally uh, bivocational in our leadership, and we're going to actually build a team of people who are bivocational. Now, uh, I mentioned a pastor just a few moments ago that I met recently, and he's doing this very thing. Um, he planted the church that he's currently leading about 11 years ago. They started with 13 people. Uh, typically on a Sunday now, their attendance will be about 250 And over that 11 years, he's maintained his secular employment, and the church has grown, and he has continued to be their bivocational pastor. Now, because of the growth of the church, a number of uh, they've added another bivocational minister on their staff, and that is the person who does their youth ministry. I met him as well. He's actually a real estate professional who uh, makes his living in real estate and then devotes significant hours of ministry leadership to their youth ministry. Um, I was there, and I saw about 25 to 30 teenagers in the youth ministry uh, 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 room where they were assembled for their morning uh, activities. And so it's a pretty significant and healthy youth ministry in a church that size. And then when I walked into the worship service, uh, on the platform was another bivocational person, a person who provides the worship leadership for their church, another person who works professionally in the community who devotes a bit of time to church ministry leadership and the church uh, you know, uh, supports him uh, in that way. So here's a church with an attendance of 250 uh, that's grown from 13 to 250 over about a decade uh, that does not have a full-time ministry leader on its staff, instead has these, uh, this collection of bivocational leaders. Now, going back to my other friend up in Washington that had a bivocational ministry uh, that he chose intentionally as a pastor, over the years, he did the same thing. He added uh, bivocational staff to help him as their church grew and their ministry needed additional leadership over the years. But he also did something else that I challenged the guy that I just recently met to consider. And that is, uh, my friend up in Washington at one point employed a full-time associate. Now, this may seem backwards, but it really worked well. Uh, this uh, pastor, bivocational, veterinary surgeon, wanted to be involved in ministry leadership, saw the church growing and then needed help. And so the church decided, 
uh, to hire a full-time associate who would pick up pastoral responsibilities and lead out in different areas and work under the direction of a bivocational pastor. I guess what I'm trying to emphasize is that a pastor who's bivocational doesn't have to work toward the goal of becoming, quote, vocational. You don't have to work toward that goal. There are other ministry models like the one that I just recently encountered where there's a collection of bivocational pastors working together or the one that I'm describing where a bivocational pastor actually at one point employed a full-time associate to work with him. I actually counseled this church where I recently uh, spoke and where I met the team to think about that as a future model. Uh, I said to them, you may want to think about uh, having a full-time associate come on board at some point uh, to take on more responsibility uh, and, to, uh, and to fill in gaps that, that you're not able to fill in because of the work schedules and other things you leaders have. But I don't think there's any reason why that church that's growing and, and pro progressing, why there's any reason that they should uh, consider moving their pastor out of the very effective role he has of being a leader in the community in a secular occupation and being pastoral leader for them as well. And this church is, is growing uh, the right way. Uh, they've averaged over the past few years uh, over 20 baptisms a year which means they're baptizing someone about every other week with a team of bivocational leaders uh, leading this church that's moving along and, and demonstrating some significant health. So uh, those are some of the models of bivocational ministry, and I'd like to hopefully by this podcast get some new thinking going about how you can build your ministry team uh, and think about uh, what this looks like going forward. Now, uh, I was asked by the person who emailed me to address some special challenges that bivocational pastors uh, face, and I'm going to address two of those in a moment. But before I do that, I want to uh, mention three key things that the rest of us can learn from effective bivocational pastors. If we pay attention to healthy models of bivocational leadership, we can learn three things. Number one, we can learn uh, how to do life balance and how to balance family and ministry dynamics well. Bivocational pastors have a much more challenging situation than those of us who are single vocation ministry leaders. Uh, we complain about having to balance ministry and family, but think about trying to juggle ministry, family, and some kind of secular employment. Uh, those pastors who are doing their work well and have healthy families are good models for us about the discipline, about the priority choices that have to be made, and about what it really means to stay engaged in the right way with both family and ministry and work. So find a healthy bivocational pastor and learn how they're doing this balancing and follow their example. Another thing that bivocational pastors can teach us is to prioritize what really matters in ministry. What really matters is evangelism, discipleship, and leadership development. Those are the core issues that drive a church forward and promote its health. Evangelism, discipleship, leadership development. Now, you can do that through various programs and various approaches. I'm not talking about any certain kind of, of, uh, of a method today. But I'm saying those are the things that really drive a church forward. You have to reach the lost, disciple the converts into strength as believers, and turn some of those uh, strengthened believers into leaders. And you have to repeat that cycle over and over again. When I was preaching and talking in this church recently and talking with this bivocational team, 
they emphasized to me that, uh, that they really don't have any, any time for, for much else besides reaching the lost, uh, running their church's discipleship ministries, and then developing some leaders to take on expanded ministry as it goes along in their church. Uh, they, they don't really have time to take care of all the minutia of ministry, and so either ignore it or uh, they train other people and release them to get the job done. And so bivocational pastors, especially ones in healthy ministry settings, they prioritize what really matters, and they can help the rest of us learn that uh, we have to be careful that just because we have more time to invest in ministry, that we're not dissipating that time and wasting it on trivial things or incidental things or things that just really don't matter to the actual progression of the gospel through our ministry organization. So Bivo pastors help us to understand the importance of evangelism, discipleship, and leadership development, and keeping ourselves riveted on those core tasks, even if we have more time to devote to ministry, that we keep devoting more time to the core tasks, uh, not to ancillary responsibilities. And then another thing we can learn from bivocational pastors is how to do shared decision-making and how to give away ministry and give away ministry leadership. Uh, bivocational pastors understand that they just simply can't do it all. If they want more things to be done, they have to let other people do them. And they have to train other people and motivate other people and empower other people and coach other people, but they have to let other people take responsibility. Uh, a lot of uh, pastors uh, struggle with this. They, they want to hold on to everything in the name of quality control or in the name of doing things the right way or in the name of ministry or doctrinal purity. Well, those things are important, but frankly, it's a short-sighted vision to think that the only way those goals can be accomplished is by one pastor holding on to all of the leadership. Uh, really, leadership has to be shared, decision-making has to be shared, and ministry has to be given away, in a sense, if it's going to prosper and grow. And bivocational pastors help us see this. So uh, we can learn from bivocational pastors about life balance and how to manage family, ministry, work dynamics. We can learn from them how to prioritize what really matters in ministry, evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, keeping ourselves riveted on those things, no matter how many hours we have to, to invest in ministry. We have to keep focused on those things, not just dissipating hours on other uh, less important issues. And then how to do shared decision-making and give ministry away and and train, empower, coach, and help others to take the leadership roles necessary in order to keep expanding uh, church ministry. Now, two concerns that bivocational leaders have to address, and if you're thinking about moving into one of these models or you're thinking about building your team by adding bivocational people to it, here's a couple of concerns to keep in mind. First, bivocational ministry leaders have to avoid satisfaction with manageable ministry size, they have to avoid becoming the choke point that keeps ministry from growing. Um, both of effective pastors I've mentioned on this podcast have, have done this. They realized that their church could only grow so large, there was only so much they could do in their bivocational role. And because they neither one felt like they should become full-time pastors, what did they do? Uh, they brought on other bivocational leaders. They expanded their leadership base. They found ways to train. They found ways to share ministry leadership. They found ways to keep expanding the organization, even though they didn't expand the amount of time that they were devoting to the organization. So you have to be careful if you're a bivocational ministry leader and not say, well, this is as big as our ministry can grow because this is all that I can handle. That's a choke point, and that's not good leadership. What you have to say instead is, 
This is as far as our ministry can grow with the time I can devote to leadership at this particular juncture. So what I've got to do is find ways to share leadership, find ways to bring on other uh, people to help me, find ways to expand uh, the, the, uh, the, the base, if you will, so that or the leadership base, if you will, so that the ministry can continue to grow and prosper. So a concern about bivocational ministry leaders is that they that they that they become comfortable with a manageable size ministry and they don't realize that they've become a choke point to future growth and they have to continually work to avoid letting that happen. And then a second concern is bivocational ministry leaders have a have a pressure uh, to um, uh, well let me say it this way they have to the concern is that they have to continue to keep growing and developing. They have to access information for continued effectiveness. And this is hard to do because they have so little time. Uh, but nevertheless, the challenge of bivocational ministry leaders is to continue to stay alive and keep growing and keep learning about what needs to keep changing and keep developing for the ministry to progress. Now, uh, this is why things like hopefully this podcast and other ministry things like that can be helpful. But beyond that, bivocational ministry leaders need to take advantage of the specialized conferences denominations offer, the specialized resources that are delivered to them, so that they do have a little bit of time that they're devoting, not just to how do they survive week to week, but how do they think about the long-term implications of their leadership and how they can expand or how they can grow uh, what they're doing. So the concern is that they not become too myopically focused on just keeping alive what they're doing and not continue to also try to grow and learn and develop some new approaches or new ways of looking at their situation so it can continue to keep growing. All right, bivocational ministry. It is a very common model in church leadership today, uh, but there's not just one model of what it needs to look like. The part-time, part-time model, yes, that's the most common one that people think of. But also remember, full-time vo uh, secular vocation, limited-time ministry involvement, retirement income, and part-time or full-time ministry involvement, a self-salaried person or a couple that is able to, to, to turn one of the people in the couple into a self-salaried bivocational person, and then the multi-staff model. And in context of the multi-staff model, a multi-staff of bivocational leaders that might even include a full-time ministry leader as part of the team. We can learn some important things from bivocational leaders, life balance, prioritizing what really matters, shared decision-making. We can also help them by addressing these two concerns. Bivocational leaders, don't become a choke point. If you've reached the maximum of what you can do, recognize that you have to then take advantage of, or then you have to solve the second concern, which is learn, develop, and grow so that you can continue to see the ministry leadership that you have and the ministry responsibility you have expand, and you can continue to see the organization you have thrive, that you have responsibility for leading uh, thrive. I think bivocational ministry is a very valid model. I think uh, the ways I've described it today will help us if we can put it into practice. Uh, take what you can from this and expand your ministry by perhaps considering some new approaches to how you find the leadership that you need for your organization. Take advantage of these opportunities as you lead on. <music>